Contending for the faith one verse at a time. This is Truth Matters Church. We typically think about our will and God the Father's will, but how often do we consider the will of Christ? Jesus has a will, and today we will look at the promises he makes in his I will statements. We'll find joy and hope for believers and a fearsome warning for those who reject the Lord. Leading our expository study, here is Pastor Alex. Okay, so if you haven't already, if you can go ahead and get your material together, and if you do have your Bible or electronic device, get it ready, and we're going to continue our study in the book of Revelation. We are still in the letter to Philadelphia, and we find ourselves towards the end of Philadelphia, the letter to Philadelphia, and we're not quite there yet, so we're, we're, we're going to get there. We're going to continue to make progress, uh, but the title of our study today is The I Wills of Jesus. Our Lord Jesus has a will. Our Heavenly Father has a will. And I know there's been a lot of debate throughout human history about the wills of men and how that plays in, on, in God's plan for redemption. And I think a lot of times we spend a lot of time concerned about our will and your will and how that all fits together in God's plan. But for today and for the focus of our study today, I want to look at the will of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because throughout this letter or throughout this book, Jesus proclaims in his own words, he says, I will. Personal pronoun. The Lord the risen Lord, the glorified Son of Man that John saw in this great vision. The only begotten Son of the Father who has been exalted, who has been given a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, things in heaven and earth and under the earth. This very Jesus that was exalted by His Father is communicating to the churches. And He says, I am will. So what I've done is I've surveyed the entire book of Revelation, and I'm trying to pull that together for us. Are you interested in what our Lord will do? And to whom? And to you? And to me? Oh, you better believe it. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. So what we'll do is let's go ahead and read our letter. As I mentioned, we will pick it up in verse 12, kind of start it, but then we will go on that track. So let's remind us of our text today. Revelation 3, and we'll pick up in verse 7, and I'll be reading from the NES. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, he who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door, which no one can shut because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not but lie. I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. I am coming quickly, hold fast what you have, so that no one will take your crown. 
He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So let's pick this up in verse 12. Jesus says there, he says, He who overcomes, I will. Make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it any more, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. So in the beginning of verse 12, and this is consistent with all of the seven letters, after Jesus evaluated these churches, sometimes he had condemnation, and sometimes he has commendation, and sometimes he has either one or the other or both. In this case, in this letter to Philadelphia, he has no condemnation, only commendation. But at each of these letters, there are promises. And what we've learned is that these promises, first, we we don't want to take it outside of its context to the audience of this book. But if it goes beyond them, then we will go ahead and take it beyond its intended audience, and have it applicable to us. And because verse 12 and the the rest of these seven letters and how it ends with he who overcomes, as we've learned, it applies to all believers. And how do we know that? Because John wrote in his other epistle, who is the one who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So when Jesus ends this letter and says, he who overcomes, yeah, it can apply to them who truly have overcame whatever that adversity or trial or persecution and receive this promise. But nonetheless, it's not just limited to them, and in this case, to that first century, and it would apply to all believers uh, from even then to the future. Now, also in verse 12, so Jesus promises these specific things. He says, I will make him, and he's believers, a pillar. And he says, I will write on him, believers, the name of my God, the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, and his new name. But I'm going to save what those promises are for our next study. Instead, here's where we're going to take that excursion, as I've mentioned to us. I'd like to see and show and demonstrate through the Scripture all that our Lord has promised and warned when He spoke in the first person, I will. Hence the title of our message, The I Wills of the Lord Jesus. I did limit it to just the book of Revelation because we will never get out of here. So I think He's going to do other things. This isn't all exhaustive. But when Jesus says in that personal pronoun, I will, I looked from 1 to 22, put it together, and I want to share that summary with us. I want to review each of them and then determine, okay, what is he going to do to the different groups and even the subset of those different groups? Amen? So here it is, at least how it's translated in our English. We're going to see that sometimes it's the same Greek word, but translated differently in our our English translations. But here's how at least the NES 
translates when Jesus uses the personal pronoun. Here's what Jesus is going to do. He says, I will grant something. He says, I will give something. I will make something. I will throw something. I will kill something. I will come. And he says, I will not do something. And he goes, I will confess something. And then last but not least, I will write. In some cases, it applies to believers. In some cases, it applies to unbelievers. In some cases, he speaks to both groups at the same time. And in some cases, it's even a subset of each group. So here's the goal of our study, is to see what will Jesus personally do himself to each of these groups. Uh, I don't know what your view of Jesus is. I know, let's look at even here us in the United States, right? We have our commander-in-chief, whoever sits in the office of the president. He can make the decision, I'm I'm granted within the authorities of the law, but let's just say go to war, but our president is actually not doing the fighting. That's how our government is established. I don't know if you view maybe Jesus is just like that and just telling people to do things. He will too, but he will also do some things himself. You know, one of the things I admired in Scripture, one of my favorite, is David. You know David, when he was a valiant warrior, and he had his warriors with him, was it 300 men? But uh, David was on the front lines. I can get behind someone like that. And then when David got of age, even his warriors, his soldiers saying, you're too valuable to be out there with us, stop. We know that you want to be out there with us, but you're too valuable. You, you can't go out anymore. And this son of David is in that same way. He is leading his army, and he's going to do some things himself, and he will command his angels to do some things as well. And we're going to see what those are. All that is to say, Jesus is going to be busy, very busy, towards the end. Right now, there's things going on in the heavenlies, and it's manifesting itself in the physical. Not saying he's not busy now, but the activity is going to build up and intensify, especially as we get towards the end of the age. So are you ready? He says, I will grant. Grant is didomi. And it means to give of one's own accord or goodwill or to do something. And here's a good way, like if you think of the Greek word didomi, this is where I mentioned in their introductory comments, free will. Our Lord Jesus has a will. We know that that will is to do the will of him, and whether it's in his first coming or his second coming or whatever it is in heaven. Our Lord Jesus' will is to always please his heavenly Father, even if it costs him humiliation, to take on the form of a servant, to humble himself, even to the death of a cross. And that's why his father highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. But our Lord Jesus, that's his will. He loves his father eternally. And he always wants to please his father. So think of Didymus. When Jesus does something, it's of him, of his own accord. It's something that he's doing himself. And Didymus was translated grant in our English version of the NES, only twice. Here it is right here. Here's what Jesus said he will do. In the letter to Ephesus, he says, to him who overcomes, he goes, I will grant, didomi, to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. And to Laodicea, that's the letter after this, the final letter, 
He says, he who overcomes, I will grant didomy to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. In these two verses, it only applies to believers. Jesus promised to give believers these benefits and privileges. So this would include you and I. Jesus will grant us to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And he will also grant to sit with him on his throne as he also overcame and sat down on his father's throne. So here's something that we can take away. This is from our Lord Jesus. There will be a tree of life, the new heavens and a new earth. And what Jesus is going to demonstrate to his faithful followers out of his goodwill and pleasure, he says, go ahead and eat from the tree of life. Also, he says, oh, you want to sit on my throne? You can sit on it. I don't know how cool that's going to be. Well, imagine sitting on the Almighty's throne. That's pretty darn cool. I'll be like, Ooh. <laughs> I feel like does this thing swivel? You know, like, what, what does it do? What did we learn from our past study? The Father's throne has wheels, remember? It says the wheels, a flame of fire. It's mobile. But Jesus, of his own free will, he's going to grant us permission to eat it. That must be some pretty good fruit. And also sitting on the throne is not a bad deal either. He also says, and it's translated in our English, he says, I will give. Give is also didomy. Same, same definition. But it was translated, um, you know, instead of grant, give, six times. Let's read these accounts. So to Smyrna, he says, be faithful until death. He goes, I will give, didomai, you the crown of life. And twice to Pergamum, he says, to him who overcomes, to him I will give didomai, some of the hidden manna, and I will give didomai him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. And then the other three mentions of didomai translated in our English give. This is what he said to Thyatira. He goes, and I will kill her children with pestilence, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts and I will give Didomai to each one of you according to your deeds. He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give Didomai authority over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces. As I also have authority from my father, and I will give Didomai him the morning star. So in these six verses, where it's translated in our English, I will give. Five of, at least five of them are strictly just to believers, but one time he talks to both. But we're going to first talk about what these promise and privileges are for believers. So when we take those six mentions, here's where it applies. Guys, this isn't just for these churches. This is for us too. I will give Didomai the crown of life. You and I will be given, granted, a crown of life. He goes, I will give Didomai some of the hidden manna. I don't know with absolute certainty what that means, but it must be some also pretty good manna. He goes, I will give Didomai a white stone. And then he says, I will give something else. He says, according to your deeds. Well, what exactly? And here we're going to go back to John 5. And we've gone here several times, at least in the past month or so in our studies. Let's reread what Jesus said there. 
He says, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who did good deeds to a resurrection of life. Those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Now, good deeds is characteristic of those who died in faith in Christ. So let's add this resurrection to this group of, and that would include us believers, a resurrection of life. The believers in these churches who got these letters were promised a resurrection of life. You and I and all the believers from there are promised a resurrection of life. What was it when, remember when, was it um, Martha's, was it when Lazarus died and Jesus arrived on the scene? And he did that. He waited so that he would be dead four days. And then when he came, the sister said, Lord, if you had been here, you would have saved him. And he goes, do you believe? And he says, he will rise again. He goes, yeah, I believe in the resurrection. And he goes on to say, he goes, I am the resurrection and the life. He's promising here he will give believers. There's more. Here's what he also promised in these six verses that we just looked over briefly. He says, I will give Didomai authority over the nations. Can't quite wrap my head around what that would mean, but we have to give room that glorified believers is going to have a place and a role over the nations. We know that even in the regeneration that Jesus promised his disciples, remember when Peter said, Lord, look, we've left everything and followed you because our Lord made the comment, about how hard it is for a rich man to be saved. It is easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into heaven. And the Lord and the disciples and Peter are like, Lord, well, then who can be saved? And he goes, well, with man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. And then Peter goes on to say, Lord, we left everything for you. And he goes, surely I, tell you, I, surely I say to you that anyone who's left mother, father, you know, anyone in my name's sake, he goes, we'll receive that much even more in the kingdom. And he goes, and you, right, he's talking to his disciples, he says, he will establish 12 thrones and you will sit on it judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So we know that, okay, that doesn't apply to us, that's for them. But here, he goes, I will give them my authority over the nations. I don't know what that's going to look like, but we're going to have some responsibility And we know that when he teaches us these parables, especially the parables of the talents, it's what did we do? Because what you do is going to determine how you're going to enter the joy of your master. Some were given five and they multiplied it and got five more. Some was given two and multiplied, got two more. And then there was that one wicked servant that dug it in the sand. But the one who multiplied their talents, he says, come enter the joy of your master. There's going to be some sort of responsibility based on what we did here so the truth here these promises it applies to all believers i'm telling you now hopefully we're starting an idea when he says blessed is he who reads the words of this book and heeds the words of the prophecy it's like oh yeah it's right here and we're starting to hear it and you should be blessed by it but here's a conjecture the hidden manna reference when i taught this maybe a couple months ago at that time when we covered that letter, I thought that that hidden manna might somehow be reserved for the end time elect that might be going through something that might not be supernaturally preserved. But I stand corrected because 
the above promises are qualified and applied to him who overcomes. That's kind of a good telltale. To him who overcomes is beyond its immediate reader. So I believe now, being corrected, not only are we going to be allowed to eat from the tree of life in the paradise of God, but he'll also give us some hidden manna. So we're going to have fruit and manna, minimally. So in those six verses, we just listed what Jesus will give to believers. Pretty cool, isn't it? There's more. And now one of these six verses, Jesus says he will give something to unbelievers. Here's what Jesus promised to give unbelievers. He says, I will give, did am I, to each one of you according to your deeds. So we're going to do the same thing. What exactly is that? We're going to go to the same verse. John 5, 20 and 29, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. So evil deeds is characteristic of those who died in unbelief. Now there could be those who were actually persistent in evil deeds like the scribes and Pharisees and and his enemies when our Lord was here the first time. They definitely did evil deeds while they were here to their death. That certainly would include them. But here, Jesus says, I will give. I will do. I I will grant. I will do it. He says, he will give a resurrection of judgment. So here's the truth. Jesus will raise every single person who died in unbelief to a resurrection of judgment. When is that exactly? And I've spoiled this many times now. It's when the seventh trumpet is blown. When that seventh trumpet is blown and John 5 comes to pass, there's going to be a resurrection of all who are in the tombs. There's going to be those who, wrote, who did characterize as doing good deeds to a resurrection of life, and Jesus is going to give life. And there are those who are going to be raised to a resurrection of judgment and will be thrown into the fury of the wrath of God. That's when the seventh trumpet is blown. But Jesus is going to do that part too. You ready to go on to the next I will? Jesus says, I will make. I will make. In our English word, when it's translated, I will make, sometimes it can be two different Greek words. So we're going to look at both. Because it can either be polemio, which means to wage war. Or it can, and, or it can also mean poio which means like didomai. It's kind of like to do. It's just another way to say I'm going to do something. So sometimes Jesus is translated, you know, when he says, you know, I will make, I will polemio. And then other times Jesus says, I will make or I will poio. But in our English word, it says I will make. This is where we're going to kind of try to get through that difference. So let's look at polemio first. When Jesus says, I will polemio. And that's only used once. And this was to Pergamum. He goes, therefore repent, or else I am coming to you quickly, and I will make, I will polemio, I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. You know, right now, what's interesting is, uh, you know, we live in a world where there's constant wars, right? It's been wars since the very beginning. And even towards the end of time, the wars will continue to escalate especially when it concerns the people in the land of Israel. And raising, you know, nation rises against nation and kingdom against kingdom, right? So one leader might declare war to another leader. And there's war. How about the Lord Jesus rising up? I declare war. 
Here's who he's declaring he's going to wage war against. Here, in this context. Those who held to the teaching of Balaam, Balak, and those who are characterized as eating foods or things sacrificed to idols. Those engaged in sexual immorality. And those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans, which is very similar. Here's the truth. A time is going to come when Jesus will wage war against them with the sword of his mouth. We're afraid of nuclear wars. How about he who spoke the elements into existence to make that nuclear or atomic bomb? Now let's look at I will make poio. And that was used twice. And it was in our very letter to Philadelphia. He goes, Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not but lie. I will make, I will poio. Now it's not wage war, but he goes, it's more like didomi. I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. So in verse 9, we've covered this. Them in context are the synagogue of Satan. And we've done our due diligence. The synagogue of Satan are the scribes and Pharisees, as Christ called them, you hypocrites. Because they claim to be Jews. And our Lord is saying, no, you're not. You lie. You're a synagogue of Satan. Because if you truly were a descendant of Abraham, you, wouldn't, you would do the deeds of Abraham. For he saw my day and believed and was glad. And yet you're trying to kill me. And the other time he said, Poyo, he says, He who overcomes, I will make Poyo, him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. Him in context are all believers because in, verse, in the beginning of verse 12, It says, he who overcomes. So in these two verses, Jesus will make, poio, certain groups do something. This is our Lord's will. He will make, poio, the synagogue of Satan, bow down. And I'm going to argue, this is just to the Philadelphian believers' feet. Here's why I'm not going to apply this truth and promise to just you and I. Here's why. When you look at the promise, it wasn't qualified by him who believes or he who overcomes. So to stay true to our rules of engagement, I'm going to limit the scope of this promise to the Philadelphian believers as a reward for their faithfulness in face of fierce opposition from Judaizers. Here's what I'm saying. When we study Scripture and there's promises, don't apply every single promise to you. That might not be part of your reward. There are some rewards that are broad in general, which we're talking about, and a lot of it applies to us. But here, he says, I will make them, the synagogue of Satan, bow down at your feet. And he's talking to the the Philadelphian believers. If you were to ask me, we weren't there, but they probably were fierce against them and, you know, claimed to be you know, the Jews and, and you know, true children of Abraham, you name it, face fierce opposition, just like the Apostle Paul did. And he's like, hey, persevere. He goes, at the end, I will make that, those very people come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. I don't think that applies to us. However, the other promise, I would say, applies to us. He will make all believers a pillar in the temple of his Father because that was qualified by he who overcomes. 
I'm not going to tell us what that is. Yeah, you're going to have to come back next week for that one. Like, what does that mean? He's going to make believers a pillar in the temple of his father. Come back. So on we go with the more I wills of our Lord Jesus. You know, hopefully, are, are you starting to get a sense? This is our Lord himself speaking. He's saying, I will do these things. Or I will not do these things, as we'll see. And this is all from the will of our Lord. Ooh, this one's a big one. <laughs> I will throw and I will kill. I know we don't like to hear those words, but let's see what the scripture says. Throw is the Greek verb balo, and it literally means to cast, to toss. Quite literally, throw. Kill is apotino. It means to be put to death. Balo and apotino were only used once in, this, in the same letter, and we can take at least heat off a believer. It's not to believers, but for unbelievers. And this was his words to Thyatira. He says, behold, I will throw, I will balo her on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds. And I will kill, I will apoctino her children with pestilence. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. Her and her children in context are Jezebel, and the Jews who embraced her teachings by committing acts of immorality and eating food sacrificed to idols. I want to kind of take a pause here. Did you guys notice I'm not spiritualizing anything? I'm saying it the way it is. That's what it says. And it says what it means. But her and her children in context are Jezebel and the Jews who embraced her teachings by committing acts of immorality and eating food sacrificed to idols. And the reason why I paused and mentioned that, because already I'm... I'm remembering some of the you know, f- f- former teachings and commentaries saying, oh, Jezebel is the world, and it's the world system. And it's, I'm like, you know, hold your horses right now. Now, there could be truth to that. I'm not saying that there's no principles in truth. You know, like if there's spiritual adultery with your God, I get that. I get all that. But let's not jump there. Let's stay here. And if that turns out to be true, great. But let's stick to what the Scripture says, and let's not over stretch and let's not over spiritualize but her and her children in context is jezebel a self-proclaimed prophetess and the jews who embraced her teachings and there were jews who committed acts of immorality and they also ate food sacrificed to idols and we've we've covered this in the old testament the account of the people of Israel when they engaged in baal worship and what was it 20 30000 were killed that day when Jezebel, the queen of Israel, along with Ahab, caused and influenced the king and the people of Israel to engage in Baal worship. And tens of thousands of Jews were killed that very day. Seeing the same thing here. There was his people who continued with the teachings of Jezebel, ate food, sacrificed to idols, committed acts of immorality, And Jesus is saying, I will throw and I will kill them if you do not repent with pestilence. Pestilence is thanatos. Now, pestilence or thanatos, it means to die or to be put to death. Now, you could die or be put to death because of natural causes or because of a plague. And the context will let you know which one. 
He's not going to throw them and kill them by natural causes. I'll say that. Here's the truth from our Lord's lips. He says, He will personally and literally throw Jezebel. Now, if Jezebel, that spirit, is a specific demon, that demon will be thrown on the bed of sickness. And her children, and this would include the Jews who embraced her, on a bed of sickness as well. And her children will be thrown into great tribulation. Wait, what tribulation? Hmm? Let's not get there yet. But they will be thrown into great tribulation. Jesus will personally and literally apatino her children with death or with the plague. And when is that? Well, we're going to cross paths when we get there. We're not going to say when is Jesus going to throw Jezebel and her children into a bed of sickness and into great tribulation. Let's continue on and see when that's going to flow. But that is obviously sometime in the near future. If you ask me, I think it's near future. But the good news is Jesus is not going to throw nor cast nor toss faithful believers or in the case of the people of Israel. Let's say there was those in the people of Israel who embraced Jezebel's teaching, who committed acts of immorality, who ate food sacrificed to idols, and then they repented with sackcloth and ashes to their God, then that will be forgiven them, and they will be spared. But if they persist in their unbelief and in their sin, then Jesus will throw and kill them and into great tribulation. See, it's not death yet. The final death, or at least the second death, that is. They're going to be thrown into some sort of tribulation before they even experience that second death. So think about it. They died, were raised, are going to be thrown into great tribulation before their second death. Wow. Now here's another one more popular one from our Lord. And we've touched upon this quite a bit. (laughs) I will come. I like this one. Come is hiko. When he says, I will come, not like, hey, angel, go. No, I will come. I will be present. I will be here. As we know, John, in the very beginning of this letter, he exclaimed, behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be, amen. Jesus is affirming what John saw in vision. And but Jesus here himself in the first person says, I will come. I will hiko in this way. Okay. How is Jesus going to come? Okay, we know he's going to come in the clouds or on the way. Well, let's see what that will come with. In Revelation in, uh, in Revelation 3.3, and this is twice to Sardis. He says, remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. He goes, therefore... If you do not wake up, I will come, I will hiko, like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come, hiko, to you. And as we learned, when our Lord says, I will come like a thief, it's a reference to judgment. And generally that applies to judgment to unbelievers. But in context to Sardis, Remember, there are some in Sardis, or many in Sardis, who are dead. They had a reputation of being alive. He goes, but you're dead. He goes, wake up, therefore, what remains, or unless, if you don't, I will come like a thief. 
and you will not know at what hour I come to you. So we know that even in context, those who are part of this church in Sardis, who were dead because they soiled their garments, they obviously were engaged in the temple prostitution in that day. If they don't repent, Jesus will arrive and be present, and they will experience a rude awakening as by a thief and when they are judged by our Lord. Wow. And he said, I will come, and this is in our last letter to Laodicea. He says, I will he go also to this in the letter to Laodicea. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come, he go in to him and will dine with him and he with me. I want to pause here. How many of, how many of us, when we've heard kind of, um, when we share the gospel, Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart, let him in. Something, something along those lines. Is that what is being communicated here? When he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come, I will hiko. Is he talking about knocking door, the knock in the door of our heart? Or is it something else? Here's what we can know from this verse. This arrival is not in judgment. Because he's saying, look, I stand at the door and knock. He's not coming in judgment. But he's saying, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, he goes, I will dine. This is an offer to dine with our Lord and to be comforted by our Lord. Here's a mystery. This is where I'm not going to over-spiritualize things. I'm not going to go into all that. This is qualified. And it says, if anyone. Well, who's anyone? I don't know. If anyone. Not he who overcomes. He doesn't say he who believes, but he goes, if anyone. Meaning, not everyone's going to hear this knock. Because he says he who overcomes is broad in, in general, and we know that includes us. But he says, if anyone hears my voice, kind of limits that audience somewhat. So I'm not inclined to apply this truth to believers. Here's what I'm going to say. If Jesus were at the door of wherever you're at, whether you're in the Middle East or some other parts of the world, and you hear some knocking, and you're on the other end, open it. Open the door. Because if you open it, the promise is he will dine with you and comfort you. If, so to be safe, I'm not gonna, I don't know who that is, but if for some reason doesn't quite jive with our eschatology, uh, eschatological view that somehow Jesus can be here and yet not all of the wrath judgments and everything has happened yet. If Jesus, figuratively speaking, were, at, were knocking on the door, he says, open it. Now, is that a spiritual truth? As I mentioned, I suppose there's some truth to it, but I want to be fair and I don't want to violate. Remember one of our rules is thou shall not over-spiritualize scripture and I'm not going to do that. So if, whether it's 9 at night, 12 at midnight, 3 in the morning, memory says you don't know what watch of the day that he's going to come. You don't know, but he's here. Open the door and he'll have a meal with you. Did he not have a meal with his disciples on the beach? Did he not have a meal prepared when they were out fishing? He already had it ready. Was he not behind the closed doors? See, this one he's going to actually knock. He could just come right in. So if that anyone, whoever that is, how will you know it's him and not some lunatic claiming to be Jesus? What does he say? My sheep know my voice. If our Lord was outside of the door and he knocked, we will open it because we're his sheep. And if that wasn't our Lord's voice, what did the sheep do? 
run. So there's some mystery here. But he says, I will come and I will dine with him and he with me. Wow. So we got to make some room for some activity of our Lord even before he does some of the major judgments that he's going to do. Now this one's a little interesting. He says, I will not. I will not. Because all up to this point, we've been talking about what Jesus will do. Now one time Jesus says he's not going to do something. And it was to Sardis. He says, he who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments. Who's he who overcomes again? All believers. Will be clothed in white garments. You and I will be clothed in white garments. And he goes, and I will not erase his name from the book of life. And I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. This is what Jesus is not going to do to believers. He's not going to erase exalifo, which means to wipe out or obliterate. And because this promise is tied to the book of life, of course this applies to believers. And I want to make a conjecture here on this particular verse. In past studies, I made the comment that this verse has been used by some who believe that this teaches you can lose your salvation. Because Jesus says, look, I will not erase your name. And some think that implies that he can erase your name. And when we talked about that subject and topic, I made the argument, we want to be careful with our assumptions or our deductions. We want to be careful. Because, like, for example, the Scripture teaches that God chose whosoever will believe. God chose His family. He chose you and I before the foundation of the world. Now, there's a debate on on what basis did he choose? Because the scripture teaches he chooses. Absolutely, one million percent. Where there's been debate over the millennia is on what basis did he choose? Did he look down time and see that you chose him and then that you would repent and then he chose you and wrote your name in the heavenly registry? Did he let life play out in his mind? And that was the basis by which he made his election. That's where the debate is, but... The scripture teaches that God chose people to be saved. Amen? So, naturally, you might think, well, if God chose people to be saved, then God chose people to go to hell. Does the scripture teach that God chose people to go to hell? No. That's double predestination. So just because one is true doesn't mean the opposite is true. you got to use scripture with scripture. But now I can point to Scripture that this definitely was not teaching that someone's name could possibly have been written in the book in the life at one point only to have it erased. And for this, I want to cross-reference Revelation 13. Let's go there really quick. In Revelation 13, the context here, the beast of the sea arises. Let me just translate it for us. Antichrist is on the scene at this point when we get to Revelation 13. And the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel has happened by the time we get to Revelation 13. And this Antichrist is given authority for 42 months. Quite frankly, if you look at Daniel's vision, the seven-week covenant, and in the middle he renegades on that covenant, and then quite nicely, there's 42 months of authority given to him. Now whether or not that goes in the beginning, I don't know, but somehow it fits perfectly. But here, that's the context. Now let's look at verse 7 concerning the book of life. 
It was also given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. And this is the Antichrist. And all who dwell on the earth will worship him, Antichrist, at this time. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. So the book of life was written before the foundation of the world. What I'm trying, what I want to connect here when Jesus promised that he will not erase, here in Revelation 13, he's saying that the book of life was already written before the foundation of the world. Because some people th- you know, think or, or it's even taught or believe that just because Jesus says, I won't erase your name, it leaves the possibility open that he can erase your name. No, Revelation 13 says, no, he whose name is written from the foundation of the world will not worship the beast because it's already written. Their names are already in the heavenly registry. So here's my case in point. You know when Jesus says, I will not erase his name? You know what else? You know what he was saying in another fancy way? Your name is written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. He just said, choose to say it, I will not erase. There's another way to say, your name has been written before the foundation of the world. He's saying the same thing. Scripture is saying the same thing. And what book of life is this? The book of life that we're talking about, just really here briefly, whose book is it? It's in, the, it's in the verse. The Lamb. Who's the Lamb? Our Lord Jesus. Is the Father the Lamb? No. Who's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world? The Lord Jesus. Who prepared the Lamb? Who chose the Lamb? Who chose to be the Lamb? The Father. Chose His Son to be the sacrificial Lamb that even the Passover feast and celebration points to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a little conjecture there. But let's go back to our key phrase. He says, I will not. And the only time Jesus said in this book that he won't do something is explicitly mentioned to Sardis when he says he will not erase his name from the book of life. So here's a truth for not just the believers in Sardis, but to all believers. Jesus is not going to erase your name. He's not going to erase my name from the book of life. Why? Because your name and my name was already written by the Father in his son's book of life. And he's like, son, this is who I chose as my family. Now go and die and rescue them. Die for them and rescue them and bring them to me, my son. Beautiful. So yes, predestination is biblical. God's election is biblical. I'm not going to talk about the basis but the, the book of life of the Lamb, the Lamb's book of life, has already been written. Don't think that there's some scribbles in there. It's like, oh, there he goes. Uh, oh, I thought so-and-so was going to do it. Man, I chose him. What was I thinking? You know, and I, and let me erase his name. Why did I choose him to begin with? No. You know, you know what I think about? Do you remember when, um, when the Jews you know, brought our Lord to be crucified by Pilate? And Pilate inscribed the king of the Jews because he knew that they brought them because of envy. And he goes, oh, don't say that he's the king of the Jews, but that he claimed to be the king of the Jews. And what did Pilate says? say? He goes, what I have written, I have written. I'm telling you in that same vein, what the Father has written in the Lamb's book of life, the Father has written. Do you, know, you think Satan or any of his minions is going to override the Father of all glory? He says, what I have written, I have written. So predestination, election of the Father 
is true. You're saved and I'm saved because what our Father has written, He has written. And the reason why we know that is because we have come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that even our faith is a gift from Him, so we can't even take credit for believing. But it's all of the Father. Our wills matter. I'm not, see, I didn't minimize our will. And I'm also not taking credit for our salvation at the same time. Okay. What else is our Lord going to do personally? What else is He going to do? He says, I will confess. I will confess. Confess is homologio. And confess, it means to acknowledge, to agree, to give consent. And the only time Jesus said he will acknowledge, agree, or give consent to anyone is also in the same verse that we just touched upon on the book of life. So let's look at it one more time to Sardis. He who overcomes will be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life. And he goes, I will confess. I will homologio. His name before my father and before his angels. And if the truth isn't already good in it, like, I mean, look at all of these truths that we've just been, I'm just, we've been served. Not only are we eternally saved, not only are we written in the Lamb's book of life that is irrevocable, but Jesus will personally acknowledge, agree, or give consent of believers before his Father and before his angels. Now, just imagine, we are now raised in glory with our Lord Jesus Christ. We're with him right now. All of us. And he comes back to the Father. He goes, Father, here's Jeremy. Here's Rich. Here's Cynthia. Here's John. Here's Mike. Here's Ed. Here's Donna. Here's Christina. And here's Alex. He will confess. He will acknowledge. And he will agree and give consent to us before his Father and before his Father's angels. Let that sink in a little bit. Now to the last, last one. Here's the last I wills of our Lord. This is his lips, from his very lips. He goes, I will write. Write is grapho. And it means the same in English as in Greek. Grapho literally means to you know, write something, to inscribe something. When we talk about Scripture, it's the grapho. Like when it's written down. So what's inspired Scripture by definition? How do we know it's from the Word of God? If God, through the Holy Spirit, using that human agent to write Scripture, and when it's written down, that's grapho. It's written. Jesus commanded John to write, to grapho the things which he saw in this very book. And Jesus said he will write something. And it's right here in our very letter at the end of Philadelphia. So let's look at what he says about writing. This was our verse that we kind of started with, but we're kind of come full circle now. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore, and I will write, I will grapho on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God and the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. And because verse 12 is qualified from he who overcomes, we know that that would apply to all believers. So here's the truth. <laughs> And this, today is just, just truth upon truth, promise upon tr- promise, rewards upon rewards. This is what's in store for us, guys. He's going to write. <laughs> write. You know, some of us, we, we see someone and like a, a star or celebrity and you want to get their autograph and somehow that has some value here on earth. 
you know, in, in reality, what's that autograph going to do when it comes to the things of eternity? It's going to burn. Do you want Jesus' autograph? There's the Lord Jesus. There's the Lord Jesus. Lord, right here. Can I get your autograph on my heart? He will to every single one of us. He says, I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I'll also write my new name, signed, whatever his new name is, his new authority. Well, what is that? Come back next week. So in summary, that was a comprehensive list of what our Lord says that he will personally do. He's going to do this himself. Here, here it is once again, folks. He says, I will grant, I will give, I will make, I will throw, I will kill, I will come, I will not, and I will confess, and I will write. Let me take all this, and let's, let's talk about what is Jesus going to do to unbelievers? What is he going to do? To anyone who dies in unbelief, Remember, even, like I'm telling you, hopefully some of this stuff starts to make sense, especially when you read Hebrews. He goes, see to it that you don't fail to enter His rest. And He goes, and what what does Scripture warn us? He goes, these things were written as examples for us. Because people who've died in unbelief in all of the different epochs of time, here's the outcome. From Adam, even to the end of the age, to those who die in unbelief, unbelievers. He will give them a resurrection of judgment. He will make war against them with the sword of his mouth. He will make them, the scribes and Pharisees, come down and bow down at the faithful Philadelphians' feet and make them know that he has loved them. He will throw Jezebel and her children on a bed of sickness and into great tribulation. He will kill Jezebel's children with pestilence, death, plague, And last but not least, he will come upon them like a thief. Now this is all who were raised from the tombs to a resurrection of judgment. He will come upon them like a thief. And they will not know at what hour he will come upon them. But as for believers, here's what our Lord will do for us. He will grant us to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. He will grant us to sit down with him on his throne as he also overcame and sat down with his father on his throne. He will give us a crown of life. He will give us some of the hidden manna. So apparently whatever the people of Israel ate while they were in the wilderness. And we know that he is the, the true manna that came down out of heaven which man may eat of and die. And yet there's this hidden manna. He will give us a white stone and a new name written on it. He will give us a resurrection of life. He will give us authority over the nations. And yet there's more. He will give us the morning star. And he will come to some of us, I say here, I put that, and will dine with us. He will make the synagogue of Satan, the scribes and Pharisees, bow down at the Philadelphians' feet and make them know that he has loved them. He will not erase our names from the Lamb's book of life. He will confess our names before his Father and before his angels. And last but not least, he will write Grafo on us, the name of his God, and the name of the city of his God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from his God and his new name. And we're going to pick up 
on what that looks like and what that means, that promise or those promises specifically next week. Amen. Thank you so much for listening today to Truth Matters Church. We do hope that you were blessed and maybe even fascinated by this exposition of Scripture today as we study the I will statements made by our Lord Jesus Christ. Many promises are held within, as well as a frightful warning not to reject the free gift of grace and mercy that Christ offers. If you've enjoyed this expository study, consider joining us in person or online every Friday night. Our small group is interactive and is also followed by a Q&A session so that we all have a chance to better digest the text. You can find out more at our website, truthmatterschurch.org. And if you've been blessed by the teachings you're hearing, would you consider supporting Truth Matters Church with a year-end gift? You can give online at truthmatterschurch.org. Contending for the faith, one verse at a time. This is Truth Matters Church.